told me that uh, he would be joining the meeting uh, from 10 o'clock. And then in the meantime, uh, he has requested uh, Honorable Mundise to chair the meeting from, from 9 to 10 when he joins the meeting. And since now it's uh, exactly 9 o'clock, we have got so far uh, about five members in the meeting. Mundi uh, said, please take over and chair the meeting. Uh, We've got the quorum to start with the meeting. Thanks. Hello, ma'am. I'm sure you are muted. Thank you, Mr. Matonzi. Good morning to members and colleagues and to members of the department. Our agenda, I think, is as it is highlighted on the screen. Recording in progress. Before I take apologies, members, in light of the Parliament's program today, we are all aware that we are having a mini plenary that starts at 11 a.m. and subsequently with the sitting parliamentary sitting that starts at two o'clock. I would like to propose that we postpone the two items that we are supposed to be receiving from the department and the CETA and deal with item number seven, which will be the responses uh, by the Department of Home Affairs on the Electoral Commission and, and from the Parliament and Legal Services and will then take uh, deliberations from the committee on the electoral amendment bill. So I propose that we deal with that one item so that we are all able to attend the mini plenary, which will start at 11 a.m. I would want then to get a view from the members, this proposal that we postpone the two items from the department and CETA for a later date and deal only with the electoral amendment bill and the deliberations thereof. Can I then get uh, views from the members? Honorable Rose. Uh, thank you, Acting Chair. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that, Acting Chair. Thank you very much. Uh, is the co-chair in the meeting? Uh, ma'am, no, she sent an apology, ma'am. Okay, do we have Honorable Tito or Mukhali? Uh, Ms. Mtito, she's in the meeting. Okay, Honorable Tito. Morning, morning, Ms. Mutise and the colleagues and everyone who is present. Yes, I think that we can move with that. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Pillay. Good morning, Chair. Thank you very much. No, we are in agreement of that, supported. Thank you. Thank you very much, colleagues. Um, to the department, we have then going to move the items that we're supposed to uh, get a briefing or presentation from you. Um, Minister, we will then move the items to a later date. We'll advise accordingly. Can we then move to item seven? Uh, Before, um, Mr. Matonsi, do we have any apologies? Yes, of, uh, already noted there of the chair. Any yes, yes, uh, Mr. Rose just indicated uh, uh, last week that he will be leaving the meeting at quarter past 10. And then also, they say, okay, they, there's an apology from Ms. Van der Merve. That's, that's all, chair. 
Thank you very much, Mr. Matunz. Can we then move colleagues to item seven, which is the responses by the Department of Home Affairs on the electoral and the electoral commission and the parliament's legal services committees <clears throat> on the electoral amendment bill. Minister, I'm not sure whom will be uh, starting. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Mr. Matonsi, what is it? <laughs> no, I was saying in terms of the agenda, we are starting with the Parliament Legal Service Chair. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yes, Chair. If they, can I if just, they are ready, yes. Chair, Chairperson, can I just disturb you a bit? Can I ask the team from Home Affairs to go back to their work and leave only legal people? The others must go away except the DG or whoever is representing the DG and the legal services, because I see a lot of people here who could be working. Uh, then they'll come the day Home Affairs come to present. I just want to make that, and I also know yes from the agenda that we are starting with parliamentary legal services followed by the IEC, is then that is the department. Thank you. That is in order, Minister. The members of the department can be released or excused from the meeting. Thank you. Parliament's legal service, if you are ready, you can then uh, take us through. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, Chair, may I ask the Secretariat to, to flight the, the document? Yes, Mr. Matonsi, will you assist with that? Yes, Chair. Um, I'm not sure if you are all able to see it. Is it a slide show? Is it on a uh, slide? No, it's just a web document. I can see. Okay, members, colleagues, the... are you able to see the document? Yes, Chair. Yes, yes, Chair. Thank you very much. We can continue, Mr. Njikela. Um, thank you very much, Chairperson. Um, Chairperson, maybe I should begin by just making some few points so that there is no confusion in terms of the run of the document. Uh, the document is based on the public submissions that were received on the second round of the advertisement of the, of the Electoral Amendment Bill. Uh, Chair, as we go through them, you, 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 you will realize that most of these issues have already been deliberated by the committee and in many instances decisions taken. So if you feel like you're time traveling, it's not your fault really. It's because some of these issues are coming up now and then. In terms of the structure of the document, we have broken the issues that were raised into themes. And we have compared our document with that of that was presented by the content advisor just a, a week ago. And we are satisfied that there is alignment between the two. Each theme, therefore, Chairperson, will be dealt with in two parts. One, there will be a summary of what the issues that were raised, and then there will be our response to those issues. Uh, Chairperson, just to be fair to the IEC, maybe I should mention that we have had an interaction with them uh, on, the, on the document that we, we are presenting to you today. And I do not presume to speak for them, but my sense was that we were able to find each other on many of the issues uh, 
raised there in terms of how we should be responding to them, but I, they will have an opportunity to speak for them. But I just thought I should acknowledge the cooperation that we received. Coming back, Chairperson, to the document, you will see we start with clause one definitions. What was the issue then that was raised? Was the issue of the definition of a person that it should be changed to refer to a, a, a citizen and not just a natural person? That was a proposal. Um, Chair, we, we respond in this way that we cannot define a person to mean a citizen as the term person is used in the act is not restricted to only citizens. It is used in the act to mean even a person who is not a citizen. And we give an example of provisions relating to offenses. So the term as used in the act is broader than just a citizen, except when it comes to the entitlement to vote. But a, a, a foreigner, for instance, can commit an offense under the act and will fall within the broader definition of a person. So we need to make a distinction between the two. Chairperson, uh, we make another example where the requirements are for the person to be a South African citizen. This is expressly listed as a requirement in the act. So the act uses person, but when it refers specifically to a citizen, it does mention citizen specifically. So defining person as a citizen will most definitely create confusion within the, within the administration. However, Chair, after meeting with the IEC, it became clear that the intention was not to include a definition of the, for, the pet, for the term person in the bill, but rather to make it clear that candidates who contest an election can only be natural persons. For that reason, Chairperson, to take into consideration the discussions we've had with, with, with the IEC, if Eddie can just go down a little bit. We are putting forward, Chairperson, just go down, yes. Uh, for, for that reason, Chairperson, we are making two proposals. Uh, one is to amend the definition, the current definition of candidates by inserting the word natural immediately before the word person and remove political party. I mean, political before the use of the word party. And this will become clearer as we go down. Why is that necessary? Chairperson, uh, these are the proposals that are made to this definition to clarify the issue of a person versus a natural person. Uh, Chairperson, maybe I should hasten to add that and anticipate a question that may come, which has already been raised by colleagues with me, that if you are making this amendment or you're proposing this amendment, does it mean this amendment has to be advertised or re-advertised? Our, our view, Chairperson, is it, 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 it is not necessary. For the simple reason, Chairperson, that these are the definitions that are already in the bill as it stands. They were always open for comment. And the issue has been specifically raised by submitters to the portfolio committee. 
So we do not think it necessarily means that there must be a definition because the substance of the, of the definition is, is not changing, but simply to align the, 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 the use of the party in the constitution and the, and, and the clarification of what is a person. So for that reason, I just want to, to, to anticipate the question coming up later and explain now. The second issue, Chairperson, that was raised in relation to Clause 1 is the use of the term political party. Now, this links up with what we have done in terms of the two definitions I've just spoken to. Political party should be replaced with the term party to be in line with the wording of the Constitution as Section 19 refers to a political party. And therefore, they propose the retention of the term political party as opposed to what we had just done to remove political party. Um, in our response, Chairperson, we explained that the Electoral Commission Act does not define the term political party, but only the term party. The proposed correction of deleting the term political from the term political party in the bill was to bring the terminology in the legislation in line with the Electoral Commission. So this is just to close the gap that we don't define a party and yet somewhere in another legislation administered by the same body will refer to a political party. That is likely to create some confusion. So removing political and leaving party is only intended to do that alignment. While it is noted that section 19 of the constitution uses the term political party, there are other sections in the constitution. Um, I, I don't know what's happening to my screen. Uh, I, I can't follow myself now. While it is noted, Chairperson, that section 19 of the constitution uses the term political party, there are other sections in the constitution which only use the term party e.g. section 47. So the use of the term party in the Electoral Act is also consistent with the terminology that is in the Constitution. So we are not concerned about the differences that are, exist between the political party and the party, more especially in the definition that is provided in the Electoral Commission Act. The third issue, Chairperson, that was raised was relating to the definition of political liaison committee and that it should be replaced with election liaison committee. Again, Chairperson, you will recall this matter was specifically discussed and decided by the committee, but of course there is a submission that it should be called election liaison committee or candidate candidates liaison committee. Those are the two concrete proposals that are being made. In our response, Chairperson, we say the term political liaison committee replaces the term party liaison committee so that it is more reflective to also accommodate independent candidates and not only refer to parties. The decision to, 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 to call the committee political liaison committee was so that the acronym PLC could be maintained in the IEC training materials and to avoid having to change it. This therefore was a practical consideration and I think the IC may further expand on that. 
We move on, Chairperson, from clause one to clause four. And the first theme there is requirements for independent candidates. Um, firstly, is the issue of signatures in clause four. The issue that is being raised is that the requirement that an independent candidate must confirm that he has submitted names, identity numbers, and signatures of voters who support the candidate, totaling 30% of the quota for a seat in the previous election. And the feeling is that that quota is too high. The number of signatures required should be the same as the 1,000 signatures required for parties or parties must also provide 30%. High number expected, uh, therefore, to be too high and amounts to unfair discrimination and unjustifiable limits on the right to contest election. This is a barrier to entry and places an unfair burden on the IC. We, we respond in this way, Chairperson, and this is nothing new, we have said it before, that when we consider the, the case of Rechter versus Minister of Home Affairs, the court in that matter stated that an electoral law must aim to enfranchise and not to unduly restrict the rights of citizens to vote and stand for elections. When the department presented through their council uh, a few weeks ago, they expressed a view which is similar to what is being raised that the quota may be too high. However, moreover, it is important to establish that where a provision differentiates between people of, or categories of people, the differentiation must bear a rational con connection to a legitimate government purpose. Again, Chairperson, this is what we had told the committee many moons ago. The signature requirement may be necessary to determine the seriousness of a candidate to contest an election and to avoid a lengthy ballot paper, but it should not be a barrier to stand for election. The quota set for independent candidates should therefore be reasonable. And Chairperson, we will take it no higher than what we have just said. There is a concern about it being too high, as 30%. And that they considered it to be a barrier for many independent candidates. I think in our last presentations on the issue, we had said one could say, given the, 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 the muscle that parties and the mass mobilization structures that they have, this differentiation may be seen to be unfair. We move to the next one, Chairperson, which is also related to the above, that the bill state the amount of, de of the deposit to be paid or that the payments of deposit be abolished completely. So the proposal is that the amount of a deposit that must be paid must be stated in the bill itself, not left to the IEC to determine. Our courts will reiterate, Chairperson, have on more than two occasions had an opportunity to consider the matter of requirements that is deposed in the ACDB matter and in the EFF versus Electoral Commission. And in both instances, the court confirmed the legitimacy of financial 
So that issue is settled in as far as the requirements of the bill. The bill allows for the commission to determine the amount of the deposit to be paid. In this regard, it must be noted that section 190 of the constitution provides that the electoral commission has additional powers and functions prescribed by national legislation. The electoral amendment, amendment bill that we are dealing with becomes that national legislation. The reason why the amount of the deposit was left for the commission to determine is because this amount can change over time. And it is then always easier and faster to amend the regulation as opposed to having such an amount put in an act which then has to undergo the entire longer legislative process to amend it. So there was a practical consideration to that, that it will be easier for the IEC to regulate that on a, on a, on a regular basis, as opposed to them having to come to parliament for an amendment. So it was therefore preferable for it to be put in, in regulations. Uh, Chairperson, we move to a, a very technical area now, which is schedule one, item 22. Again, Chairperson, you will recognize this theme is the vacancy of IC. The matter has been before committee for quite a while now. The issues raised is that the bill proposes a defective recalculation method in the event of a vacancy, which violates the principle that the electorate is entitled to the recruitment of the NA by their representative voice. One party cannot be replaced with a different party if a party loses its seat via recalculation. Similarly, an IC cannot be replaced by a party or another IC. The recalculation favors larger parties, calls for a by-election to be held instead of recalculation. A vote for an IC is not only just a vote for the IEC, but it is a vote that rejects party politics. Yet the recalculation provides for the IC who won the seat to have their votes discarded and will potentially result with an IC being replaced by a political party. Calls for an option of a running mate system where an IC can nominate a potential replacement before the election reflects the will of the people. Those are the proposal, Chairperson, and a summary of the issues that were raised. In our response, we briefly explained that vacancies in the NA and provincial legislature must be filled as per section 47 and 106 of the Constitution. There is no doubt about that. During deliberations and on advice from, our advice from the IEC, it was agreed that by elections were not practical during a term and they will be administratively burdensome and very costly for the IEC. IEC further advised that to reserve a seat for an IC or a member of a party could risk a seat being allocated in an unfair manner which could offend the principle of vote of equal value. The committee was discouraged by the use of a running mate as voters may not want their candidate replaced as they voted for that particular person. This may not reflect the will of the people. Also, some ICs may not want a running mate. I, again, Chairperson, there has been extensive deliberation on the issue of replacement. And the recalculation was the solution that was provided. 
Um, I'm sure the IEC again will, will, will speak to that issue when they have an opportunity. The next one, Chairperson, relates to forfeiting access IC's vote after attaining the requisite vote for a seat. Uh, the, discuss, the discarding of IC's access vote cast in other regions which do not meet the highest figure limits proportional representation. Solution will be to recognize current municipal districts and metros as constituency instead of nine provinces as regions. Discarding votes is against the will of the electorate and when they cast their vote in a region. A chairperson, you will see from the content of what is being raised that this relates specifically to the issue of ICs being able to contest multiple regions. In our response, we, we state the following, Chairperson, we have provided the committee with advice on whether discussion access vote undermines the equal value of every vote. And whether this makes votes, uh, my screen is jumping up and down. I, I don't know how Eddie drives every day. Uh, further, Chairperson, we have explained in detail that an IC cannot occupy more than one seat at a time. This is a practical difficulty. Once the minimum number of votes required to secure a seat is determined, all additional votes may not practically be utilized for somebody else, because those voters would have chosen Njigela to be their representative. Once Njigela qualifies for a seat, that is it. Uh, go down, Eddie. It is argued then that the dignity and personhood of those voters who vote for an IC are not infringed as the will of their vote manifesting the occupation of the seat by their chosen IC. Regardless of whether they vote, their vote counted towards the appointment of the IC or whether their vote forms part of the access vote that went towards the appointment of that IC, but were discarded due to the IC gaining seat. Once the threshold has been reached of vote to qualify for a seat, because you can only occupy one seat at a time, that is the end of the road. We, we are hoping, Chairperson, that the IEC in their presentation will speak further to the practicalities of that. The next item, Chairperson, is aggregation of IC votes across regions. Unconstitutional, as it prevents ICs from meeting the requisite vote threshold in order to obtain a seat. If the total votes were aggregated across regions, an IC may meet the minimum requirement for a seat. So this non-aggregation of votes violates the proportional requirement as the total vote cast will not be reflected in the total seats allocated. This violates the right to equality as political parties are awarded seats based on all votes received, but this is not the case with the IC. It is, arbitrary, it is an arbitrary discrimination against ICs compared to parties whose votes are ultimately aggregated as a result of the fact that they may, they may compete for regional and compensatory seats. In our explanation, Chairperson, we merely state this. This provision could arguably be interpreted as infringing upon Section 19. 
19.3 of the Constitution in that it prevents an IC from standing for public office as it creates, I think there's words there. I suppose it's, it creates differentiation in terms of how the votes for the IC and political parties are dealt with. We have provided the community with extensive advice on the limitation of rights, that if a provision differentiates between people or categories of people, it must be a rational connection to a legitimate government purpose or it will be deemed unconstitutional. Therefore, the question is, what is the purpose behind preventing an IC from aggregating its votes? Why would an IC be allowed to contest more than one region for an AA seat, but only the votes of one region, meeting the threshold are taken into account for a seat and not the votes obtained in the other region? Uh, Chairperson, like I indicated at the beginning, we have had discussions with the IEC on the issue, and we were provided with what we consider to be an adequate explanation. Um, whether that will be acceptable to the submitters is, is a completely different matter. Uh, next one, Chairperson, is the issue of compensatory seats. Uh, the same issues have come up again. Uh, that only half the seats can be contested by ICs. ICs cannot contest the compensatory seats. The votes cast for ICs are outright precluded from being proportionally translated into seats, and IC may only stand for half the seats. Again, Chairperson, without even going through all of them, this issue has been firmly before the committee, and a decision was made on the 200-200 split. Uh, in our response, Chairperson, we, we state the, the following. It has been explained to the committee that the bill does reflect the constitutional requirement of general proportional representation. Although proportional representation is a requirement that is not exclusively for political party, it is practically different to provide for proportional representation with the independence as they can only hold one seat, even though they may receive more votes than a political party. This, this is a practical issue we have dealt with over the past couple of months. To allow ICs to contest compensatory seats will distort the proportional representation requirement and also run the risk of the NA seats being unfolded. The IEC will further elaborate on the issue as discussed here. Lastly, Chairperson, is the conclusion. And just for the record, we state that the submissions raise many other technical issues, such as, for example, the effect of recalculations, which was passed on briefly above, how seats are allocated, why only one ballot for the provincial legislature, and many others, which are technical issues that are specifically within the expertise of the IEC and the department. And we're hoping that in their presentation this morning, they will touch on those issues and provide technical advice to the committee. Committee uh, Chairperson, uh, through you, I don't know if you will allow my colleagues, Daksha and Telana to just fill any gaps that I may have left in, in this presentation. 
Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Mr. Njikela. Yes, uh, your colleagues can uh, come in. Um, good morning, Chair and Honourable Members. This is Daksha. Um, I'm fully covered by my colleague, Mr. Jikela, nothing further from me. Thank you. Uh, similar, I'm fully covered by Mr. Njikela. Thank you very much, uh, uh, colleagues. And, and thank you for that uh, presentation, Mr. Njikela. Can we then take um, the IEC? Mr. Mamabolo, if you are ready. Mr. Matons, are you going to? Uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm trying to, to get my document on screen. I'm so sorry about it. Okay, it's fine. Do you need any assistance from the uh, committee secretary? Uh, or are I you should able be, to flight it? I will be able to, um, uh, to flight it. Actually. Just one second. Just bear with me. Okay, noted. Sure. But uh, we, we are here and uh, ready. Uh, Chairperson, um, this is Adam Salmon here. I indicate whilst Mr. Mambole is getting ready that we can release the CETA team, uh, seeing as they're no longer required for the, that line item. Thank you, Chair. Thanks, Adams. We indicated earlier uh, that the department and the CETA can, released, can be released from the meeting. I'm not sure. Are they still in the meeting? There were one or two still chairs, and I was just indicating for them. Okay, they can be excused. Chairperson, the people who are in the meeting are senior home affairs officials who are part of this. I'm not sure about CETA, uh, 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 but the home affairs officials who are here are part of this meeting. Thank you. Thank you, Minister, and noted. Uh, I'm, um, I've, I'm now projecting and ready. You can continue, Mr. Mamabolo. Can we all see, Chair, the, the, the document? Yes, we can see. Thank you very much. Chair, um, thank you very much for the, for the opportunity. Um, we're going to be dealing with, in large measure, the issues around seed calculation, because a, 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 a large measure of submissions dealt with issues with matters related to the seed calculation um, proposals as currently um, in the A list. 
But we felt it's important that we take a step back to analyze the notion of proportionality in, in comparative uh, perspective. Um, and studies to, to electoral uh, systems generally agree that perfect proportionality, meaning an electoral system where each party receives the, exactly the same share of seats as it received um, votes is not attainable. So it's, a, it's an ideal to which electoral systems aspire, but it's not a perfect proportion is not um, um, attainable. And, and that is what you get um, from, from literature on uh, on, on, on electoral systems. So number three, it logically follows that some deviation from perfect proportionality is unavoidable. In other words, some level of disproportion is, is, is unavoidable in any electoral system. And that is presumably why the drafters of the constitution use the phrase in general in proportional uh, propor must result in ge in general in proportional representation when spe specifying the electoral system the drafters of the constitution realized that you can't attain perfect proportions in any um, design uh, of electoral system Hence, they use the language in gen must result in general in proportional uh, representation. They were alive to that reality that um, perfect proportion attainment of uh, perfect proportion is it's it's not it's 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 not possible. Now there are three um, primary factors that determine the proportionality of an electoral system. The first factor that determines the proportionality of an electoral system are electoral thresholds. Now, this refers to the minimum share of votes expressed in percentage that a party or candidate must win to obtain a seat in parliament. In other jurisdictions, they specify for you to qualify for a seat, you must meet a particular uh, threshold expressed as a percentage. 3%, 4%, 5%. Some jurisdictions go as high as 5, 5%. The second element that determines proportionality of an electoral system is the district magnitude. And that means the number of candidates to be elected in an electoral district. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk to this um, a little bit more in a minute. But it's important, it's a second important factor. And lastly, the, uh, the electoral formula, which is the mathematical equation that determines how votes are translated into the parliamentary seats. Now, most of the discussions um, 
have concentrated on the last aspect, the, the, uh, the, the mathematical formula. Um, um, you know, and we've we tended to ignore the issues around the district magnitude and the electoral electoral uh, threshold. If we did, we just uh, spoke about those in um, in passing. But overall, the proportionality of an electoral system increases with the decrease in the electoral threshold. So if we had set an electoral threshold of 4% and we reduce it to 2% as an example, your proportionality increases. And then if you increase, if there's an increase in the number of average, uh, or average district magnitude, in other words, there's an increase in the number of people to be elected, um, within a particular electoral district, that tends to improve proportionality. And lastly, the improvements in the proportionality of the electoral formula, you know, optimizing, as it were, your, your formula um, that you apply in translating votes um, uh, into seats. So those are the three key factors and uh, they are all important in determining a proportionality of, a, of an electoral system. Now, if we go to uh, number six, number six, across all three factors, South Africa's electoral system is ranked among the most proportional. Well, it's not the first, but of course, it's one amongst the most proportional um, in the world. And in the proposal that is before the portfolio committee, there is no electoral threshold proposed. Um, and remember, we did say that the reduction in the electoral threshold in, in, increases a proportionality. But where there's no electoral threshold, even better for proportionality. And this means there's in that system, there's relatively few votes that are wasted. You know, so in comparative terms, the number of votes wasted where there are no electoral threshold, um, wastage is low, wastage of votes um, is low. Every vote effectively counts in that, uh, uh, in that scenario. Now, when we come to the average district uh, uh, magnitude, the South African district magnitude is high and it's exceeded only by countries with just one national district. In other words, where they don't break things into regions and they use uh, the whole country as a, as a constituency or as a district, such as East Timor, Israel, Netherlands, San Marino and uh, Slovakia. But um, uh, pertinently, uh, Chair, Section 46.1 of the Constitution provides that the National Assembly consists of 350 uh, to 400 uh, members. And that, that's quite a high number 
um, of people to be uh, uh, to be elected, and that is constitutionally um, determined. Um, and my apologies that I neglected to put the item number. I'll find the item number uh, during the question time uh, to conclude that uh, um, uh, point that follows. And on the other hand, Schedule 1A provides that the 400 seats of the National Assembly will be contested on the basis of 200 compensatory seats and 200 regional seats as determined by this portfolio committee. And that the commission is then empowered to proportionally determine the regional allocation of the 200 uh, regional seats. And furthermore, Chair, Schedule 3 of the Electoral Act provides that ahead of an election, the commission must determine the size of the, um, of the provincial um, legislature. So our average district magnitude is, is high, 400 at the level of the National Assembly. Um, in the regions, there's a regional distribution that is proportionally determined, as well as now um, the provincial, for the first time since um, um, 1999, the sizes of uh, provincial legislatures will also be adjusted ahead um, of an election. Now, on this issue, uh, finally, um, group, uh, the group formula, which is proposed in the in the um, in the in, in the in the bill or in 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 in, uh, in the A list, is considered one of the most proportionate electoral uh, formula, along with a hair, which we had occasion to discuss fully um, with the portfolio committee, um, um, as well as the Saint Elag. Uh, um, you know, those are the three most proportional formula, formulae um, uh, in literature that, uh, that you can find. So based on the submissions that um, were received, especially one from uh, uh, Mr. Atkins, uh, there are two additional refinements uh, that we are proposing to optimize the, the seed uh, calculation uh, uh, formula. Now, when one looks at these at the themes um, and what we, we we're saying in, uh, as responses to those uh, to those to those themes, um, the allocation of regional seats is biased in favor of larger parties and can have an unintended unintended consequence of transferring a seat. From a smaller party to um, to a larger party, we say while while this argument is uh, is mathematically correct, it's important to keep in mind that most electoral system systems, most electoral system tend to reward parties with large electoral support, except where contestants with small support bases are protected. For example, through my minority quotas. So if we want to deal with this phenomenon, um, I, I think it's a policy matter uh, that has to be considered. 
by the portfolio committee and eventually by by the national assembly whether um you want to introduce minority minority quotas but our position is that the bill does not fundamentally violate the principle of proportionality uh, given the fact that perfect proportionality is not attainable moreover in the examples that Mr. Atkins provided uh, in the annexures to his submission, uh, the bias has a um, uh, is the bias that he uh, he alleges has a measurable measurable effect only in extreme extreme cases. So the use of the numbers that he he carefully created situations uh, of, of extreme case. Um, so it is not an omnipresent phenomenon, but one which is present in extreme cases. Now, theme two that arises from from the uh, sub submission is the the fact that Sorry. there is no. Sorry, Mr. Mamabula. Mr. Mamabul, can you hold on? Uh, Minister, can you please mute your mic? Here, I muted him. Thank you. Sorry, Mr. Mamabul, you can continue. Yes, uh, Chair. The, the use of a single ballot for provincial legislatures, as, as the proposal stands, the provincial legislature uh, is not a two-tier, um, does not have a two-tier electoral system is, is a single chair, unlike the National Assembly. Now, the submission claims that uh, because individuals are, are placed on the same ballot as parties, this, proportionally in, uh, uh, this proportionality in outcomes is inevitable. And therefore, the elections for provincial legislatures cannot meet the constitutional requirement of proportionality without having some form of sub-provincial uh, constituencies. Well, the issue raised is the fact that the province does not, does not have two ballots like in the National Assembly. But the provincial legislature should be likened to a regional, uh, to a regional seat calculation where independents are included and compete on the same basis as parties and therefore a split is not um, indicated. 